0: Hello, welcome to Book Talk. I'm your host, Anthony Moirore. At Book Talk, we get to have an author come and tell us about his story or her story. Previously, uh, some weeks ago, we had one Jennifer Fraser who talked to us about the bullied brain today again in the show we have Jennifer Fraser welcome to the show
1: thank you so much Anthony it's lovely to be back
0: yes and uh, it's wonderful to have you back here that means something Okay. well
1: there's a lot to talk about i mean a book is a project of oftentimes years so there's quite a bit of you know story to share
0: oh yeah sure i understand and for this reason we are going to see uh, how this book came to be why it's here and uh, we may also look into the future of what is going to happen from the book and to the book and <laughs> and on and on and on so where are you If we may start there
1: um, I'm on the west coast of Canada in a on an island in a city called Victoria Brit- in British Columbia.
0: OK, that's wonderful. And I'm all the way here in Athens, Greece. It's a wild, another wild altogether.
1: Yeah, we're both on islands.
0: Yeah. So uh, touching on the issue of uh, bullying, it's a very sensitive issue. And especially on, uh, these days it has always been, I believe so. And uh, You came to write the book, The Bullied Brain. Uh, How did it all get started? Well,
1: it literally ended up being 10 years previously to the day the book was published. So it was published in April in 2022. So it was a couple of months ago it came out. And I realized when I looked at it, that it had been 10 years in the making. Mm. So what happened was I was teaching at a private school and um, I heard from a parent directly that their son had been texting them. He was away on a school trip and he was saying, I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. They're calling us really like I'm going to clean up the language a bit. They're calling us effing embarrassments, effing pathetic, you know. And, And then as I heard more from this parent and from what this student was saying, the language became um, like homophobic and a great deal of like, just, just sort of awful, um, put downs and yelling and so on. So the big issue was, and this is why the bullied brain is a very different book and a different approach to bullying than we're accustomed to, because it wasn't peers. It wasn't other students. It was the teachers. And in that moment, I realized that everything that we're taught about bullying is false. And so this book became my um, way to try and understand the truth, essentially. And when I say truth, I don't mean that kind of, oh, we all have different experiences or, oh, um, my reality might be different from yours, depending on my experience. I was looking for what does the science say? I got really tired of hearing all the bullying myths that adults use. Because what happens is when children are abusive to one another, we call it bullying. And we Mm -hmm. we say we have zero tolerance for it. When adults abuse children in blatant, harmful ways, we change the language and we say, oh, that's discipline. Oh, that's motivation. Mm -hmm. That's because the adult is so passionate that adult is trying to teach you a lesson. Well, the fact is, if a child is bullying or abusing another child, if an adult is bullying or abusing a child, the victim is suffering brain damage. Mm -hmm. And this is a big breakthrough in my book. And I'm really, you know, I have, there's two sides to me. On the one side, I'm a PhD in comparative literature. And what you get trained to do when you do a PhD which is years and years and years of a university, you are trained not to not to speak, let alone publish, unless you've done the research. Mm-hmm. So when I was writing The bullied Brain, instead of just talking about all the mythologies of, the, of bullying and what children do and so on, I went to the neuroscientific research. I went to the science and I read it. And I realized that none of us know, for the most part, very few of us know that when one adult bullies another or a child even worse, they're mm-hmm. actually causing damage to the brain and it can be seen on brain scan. And mm-hmm. I felt that this was so incredibly important to know. I think adults have no idea that they're hurting children's brains. I'm, I'm sure the people that were hurting the students at my school didn't know that. And then the entire society that's constructed around this it falls all over itself to try and say that it's normal and it's okay. And it doesn't really do anything wrong. And it's, it's not a big deal. And the sad thing is, The reason we say these things is because we can't see our brains and Mm -hmm. we're very visual creatures. And so as soon as we can't see something, we tend to ignore it. So although our brain is the most important part of our our body, it's the organ that rules our entire lives. It's our thoughts. It's our feelings. It's our health. It's our connection to others. It's our rational self, our emotional self, our ethical self. That's the brain. Mm -hmm. And... Yet we act as if it's not a part even of our body, and we don't even look at it. I mean, my guess would be, this is certainly true for me, and I think it probably is for you, Anthony, you have never had a doctor say to you, Anthony, you know, I'd really like to do a check-in on your brain health. I'd I'd like to do an EEG. I'd like to take a look, you know, as you get older, Uh, I just want to make sure your brain's really healthy. I mean, as a child, you might have had your eyes checked. You might have had your ears checked. You might have gone to the dentist to ensure that your teeth were healthy, maybe every single year. Yeah. But no one's looking at your brain, how is that even possible? So really what happened with me in the bully brain is, I went to the science, when I started to read the science, I was shocked beyond belief at what I was learning. And I felt a really strong drive to get that information into the hands of all of us. We all need to know this. Mm-hmm. No one's telling us. So I, I felt like, well, If people want to have happy, meaningful, healthy lives, they've got to know how to take care of their brains. And they also have to learn the most important thing, which is if your brain has been hurt, if you suffer from depression and anxiety, if you have eating disorder, if you have substance abuse disorder, it's not your fault. It's not an ethical thing. It's not moral. It's not a weakness. There's no stigma. It's not a mental health issue. Mm -hmm. We have to change our language. It's a brain health issue. It's a medical issue. And as soon as you start to think that way, then you can read the science on, and it's all in my book. Mm -hmm. I talk about what the neuroscientists know about how our brains can heal. They're incredibly skilled at healing once we do the correct practices to get our brains better. Mm -hmm. So 10 years ago, when this happened at this school, they tried to tell me that it wasn't serious. They mm-hmm. tried to say, don't worry. When teachers are doing that to students, it's just old school coaching. And I was like, that doesn't sound right. That I don't think that's true. Yeah. But what really hit me, what really showed me the truth is my own son. Mm. Because my own son was a victim of these teachers. And I watched my son go through depression Mm -hmm. I watched start to have panic attacks as the school administrators, the headmaster, the board of the school, they tried to say, oh, nothing's wrong. And then they, they tried to ultimately turn it all around so that they use victim blaming. They tried to say, you shouldn't have listened to the obscenities. You're too sensitive. It's like, what? It was just so it was so hypocritical, so confusing, so destructive to brains. It was like being told all your life, this is how you conduct yourself. This is what you must believe. These are teachers. You must respect them. You must obey them. And then all of a sudden have these powerful figures in your world tell you that the problem is really you mm-hmm. and blame you for, for this mistreatment was soul destroying. And so my son started to suffer mental health, like really serious reaction to this. Other Other kids had eating disorders. Other kids had Uh, substance abuse issues. And then I heard about students with suicidal ideation. And so I started to look at that. I started to say, can you see suicidal ideation on the brain? Can it be seen on a brain scan? Can you see depression? Can you see anxiety? Yeah, you can. It's just Mm -hmm. that nobody's talking about it. Mm -hmm. So the book is written to debunk the myths that we are living under right now, and to try and get people to really learn the science. The science is life-changing
0: mm. so you talk about teachers being bullied i never thought about that and many of their listeners may never have thought about uh, teachers or even parents being bullies to their children and um you've done some research as you are going to write the book you did uh, quite a research on it uh what are the statistics even of the what we know, I mean, could be a myth that we all know that the, the uh, of the buried uh, fraction of the students in the schools uh, from other students and of the teachers present in institutions who are bullies. Do you have such kind of uh, statistics, if I may ask?
1: Yeah, um, the book is full of those kinds of statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, what I did was. Um, there's a really important study that came out in the late 1990s in the United States and it's called the childhood it's called adverse experience adverse childhood experiences the Mm -hmm. ACE study and um, it was by Dr. Vincent Felitti and Dr. Robert Anda and they were doctors in the US that were really seeing so much um, child abuse in the home that they they started to study it Mm -hmm. and they did close to 20,000 surveys with adults, and they asked them about their childhoods. And so this was only in the home. So they weren't looking at schools. They weren't looking at Boy Scouts. They weren't looking at sports. They weren't looking at churches. They weren't looking at all the other places where we know rampant child abuse is occurring. This was just Mm -hmm. with parents in the home. Mm -hmm. And what they found, and this is where I think it gets very interesting, what they found was the more adverse experiences you had as a child, so emotional abuse where you're belittled, sworn at, put down, um, criticized all the time, told you're worthless, that kind of thing, or emotional neglect, you're ignored by the parent, you don't get feedback, you don't get love, you're not treated with, with respect and care. Physical abuse and sexual abuse, And physical neglect. So those were five of the questions. There were 10 questions altogether about living in adversity for children. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't things like war or being a refugee, nothing like that, just about how the adults treat you in the home. So the other five questions were about domestic abuse. Do you witness it? Um, Does a parent have a substance abuse problem? Does a parent or a family member that's close to you um, have an, are they, did they have to go to jail? Um, they were questions like that. Did one have a mental health problem? They were the questions around the ways adults would mistreat you as a child. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what they found was the more experiences that were adverse that you had in childhood, the more you suffered from chronic illness in midlife. So what they were trying to do is say, if this happens to you as a child, does it impact your health? And the answer was yes. Mm -hmm. It was so shocking, the material, that it was revolutionary in the medical world. But what I find fascinating is how many people know this research? I find when I talk to people, lots of people have never even heard of it. It should have changed everything. Mm -hmm. We should have completely turned around as a society and gotten parents to understand you need more help. Being a parent is really hard. You need to ensure that you learn that, All forms of abuse are going to make your child ill and Mm -hmm. and ruin their life and cause them terrible suffering and we can help you change that we can give you the supports the finance the education all these things that families need Mm -hmm. but that hasn't happened and so what I look at as well that I find really interesting is you will find in society a great deal of discussion around oh the epidemic in childhood bullying well if there's an epidemic in childhood bullying the only people you need to look at are the adults bullying is learned behavior you Mm -hmm. have to ask the the tough question the courageous question who's teaching it and if you look at a school vast majority of teachers in schools are unbelievably caring they are not bullying children at all but Mm -hmm. all it takes is one or two teachers in an entire school system in the research to completely infect the atmosphere of the school. Because I could be a child going to English class and geology and social studies and history and French and whatever other classes. But if I know that when I go to my sport practice with the teachers after school, or I go to PE class, and that teacher is gonna humiliate me and embarrass me in front of my peers and put me down and make me look, you know, stupid or awkward or any of the things that they might do. They might yell in my face or swear at me um, or use homophobic slurs, any of those sorts of things. I spend the entire school day in a state of anxiety, my brain anticipating this harm. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter that I only see that teacher one hour a day or three times a week. My brain is in a perpetual state of anxiety. And, Mm -hmm. And really what's happening is cortisol, which is a a stress, a corrosive stress hormone, is getting pumped up into my brain over and over and over again and through my body. And Mm -hmm. it does incredible, unbelievable damage. And and what happens to the immune system in in a brain that's full of anxiety or full of depression because they don't know how to cope or react, Mm -hmm. those types of brains and that body is having an immune system that is no longer able to correctly turn itself off. It's gotten all scrambled. And I, I just can't tell you how serious the health impacts are. And it, it results in chronic health issues, diabetes, cancer, um, uh, immune deficiencies, all sorts of problems, heart problems, lung problems in, in midlife and shortened lifespan. And most mm-hmm. people don't even know this information. And it's, mm-hmm. it's tough to hear, but again, the book is very positive. It's about, okay, we
0: know this, how mm-hmm. do we get that? Okay that's beautiful so we are going to find out uh, how to get better but before that i would like us to go a bit back and uh, start from the bottom because when you brought the term bullying into the home setting now i was tempted to understand the terminologies or the explanations of these terms that you brought uh, together that is bullying. Then we have the abuse. I mean, we hear of child abuse, and then the mistreatment. I mean, can you help us get a very clear picture? Because now bringing bullying into the house would want us to know what is the difference or the correlation between all these terms.
1: Well, in the book, what I do is I start by saying that I use this term bullying as an as an umbrella term. It is a term that encompasses all of those types of behaviors. So it covers full-on violation of the body, which we privilege in our culture. In our society and culture, we react to bodies that get hurt, either sexually or physically, with laws. That's criminal. And we also, well, it's kind of criminal. It's more complicated, actually. But all I want to say in that regard is we privilege harm to the body. What I try to show in the book is all forms of bullying from mistreatment to a microaggression, to full on abuse, to bullying in a playground from a peer, all of harassment in the workplace, all of those behaviors are harmful to the brain, but we don't talk about that. And the law does not protect the brain in the same way as the body. Mm. So for example, if if someone, if it, if I was a student and a teacher slapped me across the face, That would leave a mark and medical experts would be come in there would be compassion i would be um protected from the harm of this teacher and the teacher would probably be instantly fired and might might have criminal charges as well quite likely Mm -hmm. now if that would heal my cheek would heal in about two weeks if the teacher broke my bone it would take six weeks and again that teacher would be fired would have they would have to get better obviously they're suffering some kind of serious problem themselves in their own brain their Mm. own brain is damaged or they'd never behave that way right so this is the other piece that people don't understand every single time that teacher harms a student they're hurting their own brain every time a child bullies another child on the playground they're harming their own brain and the victim's brain and I can Mm. explain that more later but What The point I wanna make here is I use the term bullying because I wanna show that it's seeped into every aspect of our society. Our child populations are are reflecting back to us how we treat one another. There's Mm -hmm. so much abuse and bullying between adults. You can watch it on TV, the highest people, the upper echelons of our society, the greatest leaders with the most power that rule over entire nations of people, publicly display bullying behaviors from the most serious violations, including the murder essentially Mm -hmm. of other people, all the way down to petty, unkind, rude um, slurs that they use against the opposition or anyone else that might oppose them. Mm -hmm. This is what our children are growing up in. This is what they see day in, day out by the same adults that turn to them and say, we have zero tolerance for bullying. So those children are confused. They mimic the adults. The adults tell them not to do it. And the adults role model bullying. Imagine Mm -hmm. the brain's confusion. This is why I use the blanket term bullying. I want it to be clear that it's in every single part of our society. And it takes many different forms. And the really sad part of it is we've normalized it. We Mm -hmm. act as if bullying is normal behavior. From a brain point of view, it is not. It's abnormal.
0: Mm. Thank you for that explanation. And uh, the other thing is that uh, we could not imagine uh, myself and maybe one of the listeners or many of them that uh, bullying could end up causing all those ailments or those diseases that you've mentioned. I mean, the counter effect of bullying either immediately or after many years, it sounds so scary.
1: Well, you know, again, it's another sort of myth that we operate on in our society where we think that the brain and the body are separate. You know, Mm -hmm. it it actually goes back to a 17th century philosopher called René Descartes. And and neuroscientists like Antonio Damasio has completely unpacked this idea that, you know, we think that our brain is rational and then we think that our body is emotional. But in actual fact, the brain can't make a rational decision without all the emotional information from the body mm-hmm. and so he's shown that he calls it the cartesian error which is this idea that somehow our our mind and body our brain and body don't operate as a whole mm-hmm. the very beginning part of the bully brain is to understand that our brains and bodies are inseparable so if our brain is getting hurt our body is also getting hurt and we also take out if you could say or there's there's two responses to bullying behaviors and this is why we have to stop blaming and shaming people who behave in bullying ways like the teachers that hurt the students at my son's school Mm -hmm. because it's not their fault like it's not a moral issue they're not choosing to behave that way what's happened is their brains have been shaped by abusive behaviors they think it's normal they think that this is how you interact because it's all their brain really knows on a deep level. Mm -hmm. And if you look at their brains on a brain scan, you could see that. You can see very destructive behaviors manifesting on the anatomical side of the brain, the brain structure. Mm -hmm. So what's really important to learn is, and this is what I think is empowering about the neuroscience, what's inspiring and exciting is if you have a hurt brain, you you can repair it. It's hard work. I'm not trying to suggest that this is a quick fix or it's easy. It's like getting in shape. If you've gotten very out of shape and you you aren't exercising and you don't eat the right foods, it's hard work to get fit. It's hard work. You have to go to the gym every day. You have to go jogging every day and you start small, but in six months to a year, you can have a completely different body. It can be resilient. It can be strong. It can be fit. It can feel fabulous exactly the same is true for your brain if you have a brain scan done and you find out that in actual fact your brain is really unhealthy you can change that you can get it you can get it fit
0: mm. yeah thank you very much and uh, at some point as we said before we are going to look into the ways of healing but before that because you mentioned the process and here we are looking at the backstory. now you got that um, uh, insight or trigger to write the book, and then you got started on writing. How was the process? How, how? you it, it's a 10 year labor of love, but uh, exactly what point did you start writing it and what was the process of coming up with the research, the writing, the research, the, the writing?
1: Well, I mean, I was trained to be an academic writer. So my first book was about, um, how to transform or, or what happens when someone is a reader of culture. So someone who absorbs all the knowledge of culture versus someone who becomes a writer, a writer mm. of culture. I was really interested in that. And that's what I wrote my dissertation on when I was doing my PhD. And so that was my first book, but it was very, very academic. It's the kind of book that only a professor would read or a graduate student. And and that was fine for me. I was teaching at University of Toronto at the time, and it was my world. And I thought that was fine. I was very much in the ivory tower. Mm -hmm. And then my second book, I started working in an independent school in Toronto. And my second book also came from a personal experience. I was looking at how we tell children um, not to grieve. And I was using literature in the modernist era to explore that, and I was looking at what writers said about that, and how how the more we tell children not to feel grief, like be a good soldier, you know, don't cry, the more writers in that era found that it's connected to war, to aggression, and mm-hmm. to none. And so that was my second book, and again, very academic, only a professor or a graduate student would read it. And then I, um, when I got pulled into this situation at the school. And I saw that this, that the system was broken, that the administrators and the board of the school and even the government, the Commissioner for Teacher Regulation and the Ministry of Education, I found that all of these structures that are empowered with child protection weren't actually protecting children. They were protecting adults who are abusive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I mean, it was so shocking and confusing to me because I'm I'm a bit of a rule follower, like I obey the law and I just couldn't believe that they weren't obeying the laws that they write. I mean, Mm -hmm. it just honestly like flabbergasting me. So my third book, I was like, I'm not going to write any more books for professors and grad students because that's not changing anything. And kids are obviously in a lot of danger and they're being brutally harmed in our world. And that needs to change. Mm -hmm. So my third book is called Teaching Bullies. And you can see I play on that whole concept and I really unpacked the story. I told the story of my son. I told the story of how the the kids were manipulated and victim blamed by the school that they attended and how awful it was. And I talked about the government and that was where I first found the neuroscience. And so there's only one chapter on the neuroscience, but for me, it lit a fire in me to learn more about what the scientists say. And so then the process of writing this book or the backstory of it was that if you have a phd in comparative literature in the academic world you have no right to talk about science Mm -hmm. it's not your field it's not your area of expertise how dare you (laughs) so when i was trying to say to i was trying to find a literary agent because i needed this book to go out to the world because the information is so you know it can save kids lives i mean i don't want to sound melodramatic but it can save kids lives Mm -hmm. and so i wanted to i wanted to get it out there so literary agents, of course, they're like, no, 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 no. And then all of a sudden I got, uh, I got an email from John Willig in New York. And he said, you know, I'm really interested in this book. Can you send me some chapters? I was like, oh my goodness. So I sent him a couple of chapters. And then he said, I'd like to talk to you on the telephone. I was like, really? Mm-hmm. So uh, we set up a telephone call. He phoned me. Um, and he said, you know, I got to tell you the truth. When I read your query letter, I went out for lunch with a friend and I said, you know, I read that one pager about the bully brain. And I said to myself, this is the whole reason I got into publishing in the first place. This is the kind of book that that I care about. And Mm -hmm. that was it. And he signed me. And then we went through the very challenging, it was literally a year. COVID had started and Mm -hmm. New New York was just, you know, a disaster it was awful nobody cared about books it was just like covid and cities and people dying and so i just got to the point where i thought oh my goodness i i don't know what to do like i'm not a neuroscientist do i even have the right to to explore this and write about this and share the research and so i outreached to um one of the world's greatest neuroscientists his name is dr michael merzenich He's one of the most highly awarded scientists alive today. He won the Cavalier Prize in um, Norway in 2016. Anyhow, I said to him, can I have a meeting with you? I have something important to tell you. And so it was amazing. He even found the time in his schedule for me, but he did. And so I explained to him the whole story. I told him what happened at the school. And, and at the end of it, he, he just looked at me and said, how can I help you? I was like... Oh, my goodness. So he read the book. He wrote the foreword for the book. He told me throughout the entire book, that's not how a scientist talks. Scientists, you need to know the history to that. This is how this is how the brain really would um, appear in the research. And this is a nuanced piece you need to add. So I just took his voice and I integrated it all through the book. And he said beautifully, he said, you know, the bullied brain is scientifically the most thorough treatment of the subject on planet earth Mm. and it's because I love my son Mm -hmm. it's because I love children it's because I think we can be better I think our society can be so enhanced if we just learn some of the science about our brains
0: beautiful that's quite beautiful yeah and quite interesting so it's to those who are listening they should know that this book the bullet brain has been thoroughly researched and um, so, when you're going to buy, you no, know, and I even was, as I was looking through the chapters, I saw several of those books. I mean, several of the chapters in there are based on the books that you've already written. Like, I, I see it become a writer of culture and, uh, <laughs> and others grieving and um educating i mean they are there so they are drawn from experiences some things that you have written so you've refined the writing and you have brought it uh, you brought it back into the bullet brain and thank you for doing that at this point i want to thank each and every person who's watching or those who are going to listen to the recorded uh, podcast of this show and uh, let me actually mention someone here. Dr. for Dararo. thank you very much. You say, always great to tune into Anthony's interviews. Thank you very much. We, I appreciate that and we appreciate that. And we appreciate every viewer, everyone who shares these uh, episodes. We really appreciate. And then we have another one who is, uh, uh, the name that I doesn't show here, but I believe is one keen follower of this episode or this uh, book talk, he says, it's quite complex, particularly where the parents or the teachers subconsciously damages a kid's brain by bullying in the name of discipline. Educative indeed. Oh, sure it is. It is educative. And thank you, Jennifer.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, one of the one of the myths that we operate under is we think that we are responding to reality. So I I love the use of that word subconsciously because that really is the truth of what's happening. We think that when we interact with one another, even we are, um, we are just participating in reality, Anthony, you and me talking here, but really what's happening is our brain is predicting how we should emotionally respond, what action we should take, what we should say. It's, it's so fast. Our brains are so miraculous that we think it's just as sort of a natural reality, but our brain is creating reality. And the way it predicts how to act and what to say is based on our past experience. Mm -hmm. So basically, when I'm I'm talking to you, my brain is going back into the file folder of, of my past experiences. And it's saying, how do you speak to someone like this in this situation? And it comes up with a whole bunch of In my case it comes up with very positive academic um connecting kinds of things for the most part i've had lots of bad experiences of course in my life but but the most part is having an incredibly rich um conversation with someone like yourself who cares about books that's Mm -hmm. that's my reality that's what's in my brain and so i can pull up all these experiences and respond in a in a um, intellectual and in an emotional way with you. I feel safe talking to you. But imagine if I was an abuse victim who had been really, really damaged. And so my brain predicts that you're actually, you're making fun of me when you're talking. And so I'm feeling a bit defensive. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, I might even feel angry and, and lash out at you and say something unkind. That's not my fault. That's my past experience. And my brain is creating our reality by predicting how to behave properly to keep me safe. So you see how, yes, exactly as that that person is saying, we have to help a teacher, we have to help a coach or a parent who's behaving in a destructive way. It's not blame and shame, it's let's rehabilitate their brain.
0: Mm. And that drives us into the healing part of it. Let's know how to heal.
1: Well, I mean, the thing that I found so just kind of inspiring is that it's practical and not hard to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, I don't wanna minimize the effort. It takes a huge amount of effort, but it doesn't take a lot of um, fancy tools or apparatuses or things that are expensive. I mean, the brain is a deeply natural thing. And so, and we have very wise ancient practices that we know are good for the brain. And it's just a matter of reminding ourselves in the 21st century with the kind of society we have now, that Mm -hmm. the key to the brain is exercise. One of the most important things for brain health, just like for body health, is fitness. Aerobic Aerobic fitness um, pumps oxygenated blood up onto the brain. It fuels all kinds of um, uh, neurotransmitters and chemicals and aspects of the brain that are very healing, that really are good at um, minimizing chronic or toxic stress, and they also are really good at preventing stress's negative impact. So one of the best things you can do for brain health, high performance, and health and well-being and and emotional stability is aerobic exercise. And especially when you do things that require you to intellectually think and be strategic and and concentrate. So yoga is really good, uh, martial arts, any sports where you're thinking and you're moving. Fantastic for the brain. Mm. Another thing that's (laughs) another one, another thing that's really um, incredibly good for the brain and yet another ancient practice from Eastern uh, societies is mindfulness. And I specifically talk about mindfulness in my book because I use mindfulness as a way to be aware of my brain every day. So when I do mindfulness, I don't just try and be present and let go of, of thoughts and feelings and memories and just stay in the moment and so on. I use it as a time to dialogue. I dialogue between my brain, my mind, and my body. And I let them talk to each other and connect with each other so that the brain is never forgotten. That's how I start my day. And so really in the book, I'm sharing all the practices that I do that got my brain better after a fair bit of trauma. Um, But everyone's journey will be different. I share my practices, but that doesn't mean that you won't develop your own because every brain is as unique as a fingerprint. And everyone's experienced different kinds of traumas. So really what I'm hoping people get from the bullied brain with the idea of heal your scars and restore your health is that it will be a very personal journey for you as well, getting to know your own brain and, and connecting to it and talking to it.
0: Mm, wow. I just might go and sign up for a karate class. <laughs> 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 and keep it active yeah so we really appreciate you sharing with us and um those are very great insights and um we also thank all the viewers all the listeners all the people who share please remember to subscribe to our channel i mean go to our website and invite your friends i mean do everything to make other people understand that we have things that can help our brain and grow us progressively on a daily basis one of them is reading books. So yes. as you do so, go and get Jennifer Fraser's book, The Bullied Brain. And where can they get it, Jennifer?
1: Um, If you go to my website, which is um, bulliedbrain.com, um, you'll see there's a page that says where to buy the book, and there's a whole bunch of different places where you can buy it. Um, I'm really glad though, Anthony, that you just said what you did, because one of the chapters in The Bullied Brain is about empathy. And one of the greatest ways to develop your empathy, which is you know, walking in the shoes of someone else, seeing the world through their lens, um, understanding how they might feel from their different world and, and experience, is reading books. Reading books is the greatest thing for empathy and empathy is one of the superpowers of the brain. So there's one of the action steps in the book is about empathy. And so yes, um, the work that you're doing is incredibly healthy for brains.
0: Mm, Thank you very much, Jennifer. I also appreciate that. And uh, you who is listening, the work you're also doing now is important for you and for us too, because if you have positive and right thinking individuals then we have a great society so don't think that you all need doing it for yourself you're also doing it for us go and do it so right right now go to www.bulliedbrain.com and get Jennifer's book thank you very much but before we go Jennifer at book talk we always ask the guests to leave us with a few words that we can always remember this is your time
1: well i think that the constant phrase that really is in my mind that gives me a lot of compassion for people who um, struggle to have brain health we have to remember that hurt brains hurt they hurt on the inside they hurt other people and they hurt themselves and so really the bullied brain is about healing it's about how we can heal ourselves and our society by learning more about our brains
0: Mm heart brains, heart. So the next time that you see someone who is responding in a queer way, in a bad way, remember that that could be a heart brain. And so what do you do? Be a helper, be someone who's offering some advice, some healing ideas and let's heal the world. Exactly. Thank you, Thank you very much, Jennifer. We appreciate you being here and we really appreciate you writing this book because we believe that it's going to help a lot of people. And thank you for taking your time to be on this program.
1: Thank you for having me, Anthony.
0: Thank you, and bye for now. Goodbye. Bye.